This morning we're going to spend some time considering a topic about which there currently seems to be a lot of confusion. But before we actually turn to the topic, we'll spend a few minutes making sure we have a clear grasp of the principles involved. And to do that, we'll turn to the greatest doctor of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas. So usually I'll just do a lot of uh, cutting, pasting, and editorial comments throughout. Okay, let's start. St. Thomas asks whether the ceremonies of the old law, the Mosaic law, ceased at the coming of Christ. And the answer is yes. We're completely over and done with at that time. Why? Because, as St. Thomas points out, when we're dealing with the worship of God, our external acts must correspond to our internal beliefs. It's a really important principle. When we're dealing with the worship of God, our external acts must correspond to our eternal beliefs. We already know that. That's why when we're here in, in the presence of our Lord in the Most Blessed Sacrament, because we believe he's really there, body, blood, soul, and divinity, uh, we express that internal belief by our external deportment. You know, on Sundays, uh, wearing our Sunday best, the way we genuflect, uh, being quiet, me following the rubrics, and so forth. Anyway, we know that. The important point for our purposes today is that the situation with regards to the interior act of our faith is significantly different than the interior act of the people of the Old Covenant. They looked forward with anticipation to the coming of Christ. And currently, we're after the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ. Because those interior acts of looking forward to Christ's coming and recognizing his having already come are not the same. The external expressions, which are the liturgical ceremonies, cannot be the same. St. Thomas explains, quote, The ceremonies of the old law which foreshadowed the new covenant and the joys of heaven, had to cease at the advent of the new covenant, and other ceremonies had to be introduced, which would be in keeping with the state of divine worship for that particular time. Close quote. So the ceremonies of the old law ceased, and other ceremonies took their place. For example, the Sabbath, which was meant to remind the Old Testament faithful about the creation of everything by God in the beginning, the Sabbath was replaced by the Lord's Day, which is meant to remind us, the New Testament faithful, about the resurrection of our Lord and his new creation, that all things have been made new in Christ. Okay? Okay, now St. Thomas asks whether since Christ's passion, the ceremonies of the law, the Mosaic law, can be observed without committing mortal sin. St. Thomas, quote, All religious ceremonies are professions of faith in which the interior worship of God consists. Now, a man can profess his inward faith by deeds as well as by words. And in either profession, if he makes a false declaration, he sins mortally. Parenthetical remark. Everybody already knows this. That was the whole issue with so many of the early martyrs who refused to burn a pinch of incense to a statue, you know, to the genius of Caesar. Why? Because they understood clearly, and so did the pagans that were persecuting them, that by burning that incense, they were making a profession of faith that Caesar was in some sense divine. And at the same time, that external profession of placing a pinch would mean a mortal sin interiorly against the true faith, right? Lots of martyrs for that. Okay, back to St. Thomas. All religious ceremonies are professions of faith in which the interior worship of God consists. Now, a man can profess his inward faith by deeds as well as by words, and in either profession, if he makes a false declaration, he sins mortally. Now, though our faith in Christ is the same as that of the fathers of the Old Testament, 
Yet since they came before Christ, whereas we come after him, the same faith is expressed in different words by us and by them. For example, they used to say, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, using verbs in the future tense. But we refer to the same event using verbs in the past tense when we say that she conceived and bore. In like manner, the ceremonies of the old law point forward to Christ as having yet to be born and yet to suffer. But our sacraments signify him as having been born and having suffered. Therefore, just as it would be a mortal sin for anyone professing his faith nowadays to say that Christ is yet to be born, which the fathers of the old covenant said devoutly and truthfully, so also it would be a mortal sin nowadays to observe those ceremonies which the fathers of the old covenant fulfilled with devotion and fidelity. Close quote. St. Thomas. Just as it would be a mortal sin for anyone professing his faith nowadays to say that Christ is yet to be born, which the fathers of the old covenant said devoutly and truthfully, so also it would be a mortal sin nowadays to observe those ceremonies which the fathers of old fulfilled with devotion and fidelity. Quick review. What have we seen? We've seen that when we're worshiping God, our external acts must correspond to our internal beliefs, which is why the ceremonies of the old law, which looked forward to the coming of Christ, had to pass away after the public promulgation of the gospel, after the public announcement that Christ had indeed been born and suffered and died for us. We've seen that all religious ceremonies are outward professions of a man's interior faith, and that since a man can profess his faith by either words or deeds, if he makes a false declaration about his faith in either word or deed, in either case, he sins mortally. And applying these principles to the ceremony of the old law, we've seen it would be a mortal sin, objectively speaking, for anyone nowadays to say that Christ is yet to be born. It would also be a mortal sin, objectively speaking, for anyone nowadays to participate and the religious ceremonies of the Old Covenant. Okay, all that's easy enough to understand. Now let's turn to today's topic. It's a problem that breaks out every spring and actually is beginning to involve a lot of very good Catholics who most likely are completely unaware of the issues. The problem is Catholic participation in the Seder, or in so-called Catholic or Christianized Seder. So let's get started by making sure we know what a Seder is, and then we'll look at the so-called Catholic or Christianized Seder. What is a Seder? A Seder is a Jewish religious ceremony. Cyclopedia Britannica explains that a Seder is, quote, a ritual meal served on the first night of the Passover, commemorating the flight of the Jews from Egypt. Presided over by the head of the family, the Seder follows a liturgy that reminds participants of the story of the Exodus. The ritual includes blessings, a pouring of wine, and ritual questions about the meaning of the event. They're asked by the youngest child present. The meal includes unleavened bread and bitter herbs, close quote. Other sources point out that, quote, the words and rituals of the Seder are a primary vehicle for the transmission of the Jewish faith from one generation to the next, close quote. So it's a, a Jewish uh, ritual meal. Okay, what is the origin of this Jewish ritual meal that follows a liturgy? The Encyclopedia of Judaism answers that, quote, in the biblical and temple periods, the observance of the Passover was concentrated on the Paschal sacrifice. Following the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 A.D., they don't use A.D., but we will, following the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 A.D., the rabbis had to recast the observance of Passover 
without the Paschal sacrifice. The development of the post-temple Seder took place gradually, close quote, Encyclopedia of Judaism. Other Jewish sources explain that the basic ritual was established by about the middle of the 3rd century A.D., but that the first mention of the Seder plate is about 1,000 A.D., although it may have been part of the ritual by about the 5th century A.D. On the Seder plate, among other things, there's a shank bone of a lamb, sometimes used a chicken bone, as well as a roasted or a hard-boiled egg. Shank bone symbolizes the Paschal lamb offered and sacrificed in the temple. The egg symbolizes yet another uh, temple sacrifice. One of the cups of wine, the cup for Elijah, is associated with messianic hope of looking forward to the coming of Christ and or the messianic age. Okay, it's enough background to understand what it is. Now let's ask ourselves a question. Given that in the first place the Seder is a Jewish religious rite, used to hand on Judaism from one generation to the next, and furthermore, given that certain aspects of the Seder point towards the sacrifices in the temple, which are ceremonies of the old law, which prefigured our Lord's once-for-all sacrifice in Calvary, and given that certain aspects of the Seder are associated with the future coming of the Messiah, as if Christ had not yet come, given all that, And also given that it would be a mortal sin for a Catholic to participate in ceremonies in which either the words or the deeds point forward to Christ as if he is yet to come. Given all that, can any Catholic possibly participate in such a ritual without, at least objectively speaking, being guilty of a mortal sin? It's obvious. The answer is obvious. Objectively speaking... It's impossible for a Catholic to participate in a Seder without committing a mortal sin. Now, let's turn to the so-called Catholic Seder and deal with that issue. We'll limit ourselves to two examples. Uh, first example is taken from a book published by Liturgy Training Publications of the Archdiocese of Chicago in cooperation with the Anti-Defamation League. It's entitled, The Passover Celebration, a Haggadah, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, for the Seder. Quote, in large and small groups, Christians have begun to celebrate the Seder meal, dot, dot, dot. We do not come to the Seder as to a history lesson or to a restaging of the Last Supper of Jesus. We come to the Seder just as it is celebrated by Jews. Close quote. Well, if we come to the Seder just as it's celebrated by Jews, then objectively speaking, as Catholics, we commit a mortal sin. It's actually a serious sin against the first commandment. It's a serious sin of superstition, which might surprise some people. It's safe to say that most Catholics don't have a clear idea of exactly what superstition is. This is a specific sin of superstition called false worship. Here's a brief explanation from the First Commandment section of a moral theology book. Quote, superstition is false worship of the true God or true worship pays to a false God. One sins by false worship if one worships God by the ceremonial rites of the Old Testament. These are grave sins, close quote. Second and last example. I'm just using a typical example of an argument used by people in good faith that are actually trying to be good Catholics. This example was taken from an announcement written by a priest who, by all accounts, is probably very well-meaning. So this is from a bulletin put out by a priest. Quote, This Seder meal will be a Christianized celebration of the Passover meal Christ ate throughout his life and for the last time with the apostles in the upper room. This is not a communion service, nor is it meant to be. We are remembering the Jewish traditions that we can grow closer to the Jewish carpenter who gives his life for our salvation. Close quote. Hmm. Okay, 
the priest tells us this will be a Christianized celebration of the Passover meal Christ ate throughout his life and for the last time with the apostles in the upper room. But it will not be a communion service, nor is it meant to be. Before we discuss the morality of the ceremony, let's briefly review some historical facts. First point, one historical fact that needs to be emphasized because there's so much confusion about this point is that Judaism as it exists today, modern Judaism, rabbinic Judaism, is not biblical Judaism. Rabbinic Judaism is not biblical Judaism. The temple is gone. The Old Testament priesthood is gone. The Jewish priesthood is extinct. Modern Judaism is a different religion than biblical Judaism, and it did not even come into existence till after the destruction of the temple. At its very earliest, rabbinic Judaism didn't even exist till the reign of our second pope and may not have come into existence until the reign of our third or fourth pope. An Israeli who is converted to Christianity, Israel Shamir, expands on this point. Quote, the brilliant Israeli scholar, Professor Israel Yuval of Hebrew University, we'll use Jewish source here, proved that the Judaism that we know of, rabbinic Judaism, came into existence in the end of the first century after Christ. Christianity actually superseded biblical Judaism and became the faith of millions. Still a small band of men challenged its advent. We call them Pharisees. That's historically who they were. Still a small band of men challenged its advent and offered an alternative, rabbinic Judaism. Rabbinic Judaism produced its own holy books, the Mishnah and Talmud, as Christianity produced the New Testament. Professor Yuval wrote, Biblical Judaism died and two religions claimed to be the legitimate heir. Christianity and rabbinic Judaism. Thus, the Judaism we know of is a jealous sister, not a mother faith to Christianity. Its practitioners are not the people who remain faithful to the old religion, as the biblical Judaism with its sacrifices, Jerusalem temple, ritual purity, tithes, and priests disappeared 2,000 years ago. It is a new faith explicitly made to fight Christianity. Close quote. Biblical Judaism died. Rabbinic Judaism is a jealous sister, not a mother faith to Christianity. It's a new faith explicitly made to fight Christianity. The historical reality is when someone is present at a Seder, any Seder, is not going to be remembering the biblical Jewish traditions so that he can grow closer to the Jewish carpenter who gave his life for our salvation. As we've seen, Jewish sources explicitly state this particular ceremony was developed by the rabbis after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, and at the earliest, it achieved its current general form centuries, centuries after our Lord's death, centuries after our Lord's death, centuries. The plain historical fact is that our Lord and the apostles never, ever had anything whatsoever to do with this ceremony. That's the first point. Second point, what on earth can this priest possibly be talking about when he states that this Seder will be a Christianized celebration of the Passover? It's not a communion service, but it's not meant to be. Council of Trent, quote, After our Lord had celebrated the ancient feast of the Passover, which we've just made the point, has nothing to do with the current Seder. After our Lord had celebrated the ancient feast of the Passover, he instituted a new Passover. Close quote, the Council of Trent. After our Lord celebrated the ancient feast of the Passover, he instituted a new Passover. And guess what? That's exactly what we're doing here today. And every day on all the altars through the world, we're celebrating that new Passover feast. He's the Paschal Lamb. That's what H.A. Day. Behold the Lamb of God. 
That's what this is all about. This is the Christianized Passover feast. In other words, the holy sacrifice of the Mass is the Christianized celebration of the Passover meal that Christ ate for the last time with the apostles in the upper room. This is the Christianized celebration of the Passover meal, and it's the only Christianized celebration of the Passover meal, and it was given to us directly by God himself. All right. Remember that if a man makes a false declaration about his faith, by the word or deed, he sins mortally. So which is the correct expiration of our faith? The one true faith in both word and deed. Is it a Christianized Seder meal? Or is it the holy sacrifice of the Mass? As was taught infallibly by the Council of Trent. Which one is it? Look, the Catholics that get involved in this sort of thing probably have absolutely no idea how unbelievably offensive this is to God. Now, we have to make some distinctions here. Obviously, we're talking about objectively offensive. We're not judging the interior disposition of anyone. That's up to God. But we're Catholics. It's not like we're some group of well-meaning but confused Protestants whose ancestors left the true church centuries ago and who, in perfect goodwill, are trying mistakenly to recreate what happened at the Last Supper It's not as if we're Jews who don't know who Christ is, and so this is a ceremony that we learned from our ancestors. It's not like that. We're Catholics. We don't have to make anything up. This is it. We're Catholics. We can offer the true worship to God, and no one else can. Don't forget that. No one else can. No one. It's an unbelievable dignity. It's an unbelievable gift we've been given. No amount of whitewash can cover up the reality that, objectively speaking, Seder meals, or even Christianized Seder meals, are simply false worship paid to the true God, which means we can't have anything to do with them. It's a first commandment issue. Let's close with a prayer. Well, Lord, we give thee thanks for having instituted the new Passover and for having invited poor sinners like us to participate. We profoundly adore thee present in the most blessed sacrament of the altar. By this adoration, we wish to atone for the many thoughtless acts of false worship committed by Catholics at Seder meals. Amen. Our Lady of Reparation, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.